Welcome, adventurers, spectators, and romantics to Eldritch Origins. We are a D&D podcast, your fictional home away from home. I'm Nick, I'm one of the players in this game, and also one of the editors for this podcast. And I'll hand you over to the DM. Hello, my name is Haven. I am the dungeon master of this campaign. This takes place uh, in the continent of Doriel in a dark fantasy sense. Uh, there are nine different players, and we are playing, obviously, a Dungeons & Dragons game. If you don't know what Dungeons & Dragons is, it is a multiplayer roleplay uh, fighting game basically done throughout, for us at least, online, uh, creating maps, creating a complete fantasy world of our own. Uh, if you are underneath the ages of 18, you may listen with the parents' permission, but there is adult content in this. But if you are not, then have fun and enjoy. But without further ado, we hope you enjoy the following first episode, which is kind of a retelling of what we haven't recorded for the past uh, year. And it will we will tell you exactly what happened in a kind of story format. We hope you enjoy. Hurry, everyone come gather. Gather around now. All right, now that you're all seated, have you ever heard the tale of the Golden Martyrs? Well, I guess not. It begins in the land of Dorel, a nation of politics with distinct traditions and histories for the inhabitants that live within. There are three kingdoms that call Dorel their home. From the largest kingdom, the Grashen Authority is a flourishing civilization that embraces sciences to give magic new life into inventions of astonishing capabilities. All races live in harmony together, allowing wonders to be built and preserved. To the barbaric tribes of the Phaedron Union, orcs, kobolds, lizardfolk, and goblins act on their own accord. Only their chieftains meet to maintain order and conquer their enemies. And finally, the spiritual people of the Ikai Sanctum. Their neutral stance keeps them at peace with other kingdoms, but they prefer to be more refined in spiritual practices through celestial trees, which allow them to talk to their ancestors. But underneath the felicitous exterior lies dark and destructive schemes of devils and old tales of powerful beings lost to history. One of those beings is Soril Ulas, the once benevolent ruler of the Ikai Sanctum hundreds of years ago. He was resurrected by a mysterious cult, and his mind was driven to madness through lichdom, and later renamed as the King of Souls. Cyril then went to make a deal with Asmodeus, the ruler of the Nine Hells, and with his newfound power, he resurrects an undead army, waging war on the material plane. The Grashen Authority joins forces with the Ikai Sanctum to fight against the army of the betrayed souls, and soon the Phaedron Union allies itself to make one final stance. The war comes to a halt and is won by the forces of Dorel, but as soon as Soro is defeated, his body bursts into a wave of necrotic energy and slays 200 men on his deathbed. This is known as the Reaper's Bloom. His staff was destroyed in the process, and the crystal within burst into shards and scattered throughout the planes of existence. But as time passed, the people forgot these old tales, and a prophecy emerged from the ashes called the Cataclysm, a faded reckoning on Dorel which death waves across the continent, 
ending all life with only fire and ash remaining. With only two years left, this is where our story begins and where we meet our unlikely heroes. My name is Jakarta Frostwalker, a Lenin warrior from the Frostwalker Pride on the Arturian Archipelago. With the tension rising between our tribe and the Golden Paw tribe, I've been tasked by my father Jakenta, the tribe's leader, to research and study alternate methods of protecting our way of life. I am played by Weston Lyon. Hi, this is Will, and this is my character Ghidorah Lernian. Hello, I'm Ghidorah. And I'm Ghidorah. And I'm Ghidorah. We're a three-headed dragonborn slash lizard folk. We have beautiful wings, a forked tail, and prototype electric guitar, the ability to summon ghosts, and the readiness to rock. Ghidorah loves to help others. He is a part of an organization called the Liberace, a freedom fighter group. And no matter where in the D&D universe he is, he's always looking for a friend. My name is Diamond Fairgrave. I am an Asimar and a monk from the Ikai Sanctum. I grew up as an orphan in a monastery before being sworn into the service of the crown. And now, I travel the land doing the royal family's bidding and protecting my friends. I am played by Jenny Butterfield Lion. She is in me. She guides me and controls my everyday decisions. I am unaware of her motives, but I will follow any guidance she gives me and make any friends that she tells me to make. But beware, I am Agni. Agni is played by Shane Calderon. Hello, I am Timian Alaris, last surviving member of the House of Alaris. I wish to avenge my family and set things right. I'm played by R.J. Fisher. My name is Prince Sadius Cadillier, the bastard of the Norgiles, both literally and metaphorically. I've spent the majority of my life being what one could call a miscreant. I am here now playing hero, trying to find my purpose that uh, may or may not include more deviancy. I am played by Sonia Colton. I am Lord Makarov Garrison von Wolfric Brightwood, a human cleric of Ion, the god of knowledge. I am a noble that was sent to Tusonia, the Academy of the Arcane. I have spent my entire life researching the soul shards that came from the Staff of Souls. I am played by Nicholas Bailey. My name is Kazuk a lizard folk from a tribe in the southern Dalek Tangles. I was raised to be a strong hunter, but after I was ousted from my tribe, I retreated into the Dulcen Bog to start a new life. I'm curious and hope to learn as much as I can about the world and improve myself in the process. I am played by Gunnar Holsoppel. The Gamic Arc Now that we have all the players on the board, our game begins with an opening gambit in the capital of the Grastian Authority, Traxxas. Gamic, the Grastian Authority Magical Invention Convention, was hosted in the Platinum District, where our heroes met by happenstance, one of the main inventors, Leofreak, the Goliath Artificer. 
showcased his magical arm blades and took an interest in the group. Leofric then asked if the group would be willing to help him transport his arm blades to the dwarven city of Aelin, and they happily accepted. It wasn't until another inventor named Peltronix Fendrin interrupted these bright and joyous festivities with his Rejuva Vice, an exoskeleton suit that was made to restore food, heal wounds, and mend items that had long passed. It was to his ignorance to use a soul shard as a power supply, and upon activation it sucked his life force and he withered away into an empty husk. The shard then ruptured violently in a necrotic ripple causing a purple beam to shoot into the sky, and opening a portal into the Nine Hells for a Maw and Cackler demon to emerge. The group banded together and defeated these creatures showing to the world a new generation of heroes. After their triumph, the leader of the Grashtian Council in Trexus, Lord Finian Condris, floated down from the skies to congratulate them on their victory. He saw potential and hired them to deal in a personal interest of his on the small tropical island of Anapur. He noticed that the beam the crystal shot activated another one. The group accepted this charge and went to aid Leofric first in his journey to Aelin. The Dreyfus Ark. To get to Aelin, they took a detour through the Regal Mounds to get to Pyrin, a city filled with fancy metals supplied from Aelin. Halfway through their journey, they stumbled upon a keep, beautifully structured, but alone in the woods. Curiosity taking over, they decided to enter the empty halls. Thaddeus took the stealth approach, hiding in the shadows until he entered a room to find a woman tied and lying on the floor. Freeing her, she rewarded him with a sleep spell, leaving Thaddeus alone and unconscious. After time passed, the group went to search for him to find that this woman revealed herself to be a night hag, a protector of the keep. Battle ensued and proved to be challenging for them, and at the hag's demise, they searched the keep and found a hidden door leading into a great hall. Inspecting further, they find that all the rooms are lit by spherical glass powered by some unknown source. Then, they find a room filled with hundreds of brains stored in jars, followed by a small library with a pale white man asleep in a coffin. He sensed their presence and awoke to greet his intruding guests. He introduced himself as Lord Dreyfus. He informed them that he was trying to revive his daughter from the clutches of death and proceeded to threaten the group to leave his keep before he ripped their brains out. They, in turn, take the opportunity to leave and make their way out, but with caution, they considered that they should stop him from the uncertainty of his daughter's revival and what use all those brains were used for. They charged back in and confronted him. It was enduring and lives were almost lost, but they managed to kill him. To their surprise, Dreyfus's body turned into a gem that sat in the middle of the room and could telepathically communicate with anyone who touched the gem. Everything around was destroyed from the battle, including his daughter's chamber that kept her body from decaying. But knowing that they took his daughter away, Thaddeus took a lock of her hair and made a necklace out of the gem. The Aelin Ark 
the group moved on and traveled through Pyrin into Dusk Ember's Ridge towards Aelin. Their journey through the mountains proved to be easy, mainly following the trails that led them to the great Dwarven City. Leofric led them to the shop where he was to deliver the arm blades he created, and after the long trip, the group went to relax at the Foghammer Inn. Thinking they could get a moment of rest, a man bursts in carrying a stone statue that appears to be the figure of a gnome woman. He cried out for anyone to help, saying a basilisk turned his wife into stone and others fell victim to its gaze in the mountains above. Adamantly motivated, the group followed Stone Crusher, the Goliathan man, to the lair of the basilisk at Grimm's Peak. The lair was ragged with sharp rocks and stone bodies petrified in fear. Stone Crusher warned that this wasn't a regular basilisk. It was purple-scaled, with red highlights on the back of its neck, and emerald-green eyes that could stare into your soul. Jakarta offered to lure the beast out with some meat, but to their efforts, it ended in failure. Stubborn, the group charged in to see the basilisk wading above. Perched upon its stone platform overlooking its lair, the group managed to slay the beast without looking into its eyes and falling to the feet of Thaddeus. Overjoyed, Thaddeus went on a gloating spree while Timian collected the tears to cure the people frozen in stone. Three of the individuals that were frozen turned out to be heroes lost to the ages called the Primordial Three. They were legends known throughout the land, having stories told about them passed down generation from generation. They thanked the group and made their way to find a purpose in this new age, and Stonecrusher was able to save his wife, Perian. Once returning to Aelin, the group was approached by an Aerogenazi woman who introduced herself as... Ventres Alnenpire a contact of Lord Condris, ready to teleport them to Anapor. Using a teleportation circle, the group was transported to Port Zelen, a small, quaint town known to be a fishing district and a small operation for pirates wishing to set out to the ocean in the Varakoth Sea. The Anapor Ark. Ventris led them to their captain, Quentin Stone, who would sail them to Anapor. And Cassius Silverman, a part of Quinton's crew. After a few days' travel, they brushed against the sandy shore of Anapor and hopped off staring into the wooded island. Cassius wanted to go along and Quinton stayed behind to watch the ship. The environment of Anapor was quite peaceful. Birds chirping in the distance echoing through the trees. The wind rustling the leaves. Stumbling across a laboratory carved out from the dirt and rock of a nearby hill, they plunged their way through skeletons and came across a room designated for laboratory experiments. They searched through the lab, finding three dead experiments in gigantic test tubes. Doing more investigating, Ghidorah revealed a hidden door discovering an old mechanical being named Zero and turned him back on. He led them to a big chamber that had a soul shard which conjured a portal to the Nine Hells, similarly from the one back in Trexus. It was being guarded by a horned devil protected by crystals hovering above making a force field around it. They fought the devil and Jakarta ended it by grabbing the soul shard. 
But when he did, the portal collapsed and imploded, discharging magical energy that teleported them to a beach and embedded itself into Jakarta's hand. The Norik Isles Ark Upon waking up on the shores, they meet a dirty old man named Willard Hennings. He brought them to his shack and revealed to them that they are on the Norik Isles, a wealthy island that possesses a city of riches and rivers. That city was named Norris, and upon arrival they were escorted to the palace by the Dark Guard because of Thaddeus being royalty of the crown. They met his family, finding them to be a bit different from what he remembered, but alas, they were family. Willard went on a spiel about a meeting he needed to attend, and Diamond, being curious, asked to come along to help. Willard, not being a bright fellow, invited the group to join, and they went into town, following him to a rebellion against the crown. Discovering that the royal maid, Caldita, that was engaged to Thaddeus's older brother, Daniel Cadillier, was head of the resistance. Caldita gave a speech proposing that they were going to sneak in through the upcoming ball in a week's time to take care of the royal family. Taking a cautious approach, they went back to their quarters and planned to prevent the resistance from intruding the ball. During the following week's preparations on the island, the group went around in search of details of the past events that had occurred. Their search provided that the local gang known as the Reds had been obliterated, and King Philip had ordered Ero Cadillier of the Dark Guard to combat the protesters who dared oppose the crown. After investigating royal family members and infiltrating their quarters, the group found themselves within Ero's room. There, they unfolded he had been conspiring with a being known as... Perifi the Broodmother. This new-found intrigue made the group take their time and analyze their situation, but they knew they had to confront Arrow, and it ended in a not-so-civil dispute. With the Grand Ball soon to take place, our heroes enact their plan as the festivities begin. With drink and dance, the night was a flutter. But when King Philip rose to the stage to make a speech, Caldita emerged from a hidden doorway with a look of malice. In a hurry, our heroes jolted to the stage to see Caldita strangely stab herself. She began to convulse and mutate into a being of true horror. Black, sleek tendrils protruding violently from her body. Arrow in turn did the same as the group began to engage in a perilous battle. Upon slaying the malformed humanoids Philip Cadillier II, the family's youngest and sickly child, began to rise in the air as he fled the site where it seemed he had corrupted the family from the inside. In the remains, they found a book and black leeches crawling out of the bodies. Left in distress, our heroes packed their bags and got ready to head back to Trexus, but they were stopped by Quinton Stone. Along with him was a man who introduced himself as Sir Brightwood, a cleric of Ioun. He told the group that he was studying the Soul Shards, and through Lord Condris, he made his way towards them to hopefully help out his research. The group accepted him, and the majority of the party left the Isle in disarray, except for a joyous scholar ready to continue his research. But they arrived once again on the harbor of Port Selin, to be greeted by Lord Condris. The Quarago Ark 
With a snap of Condrus's fingers, our heroes returned to Trexus, finding it to be reconstructed into vertical layers that represented each district. Sir Brightwood found this to be quite curious and alarming, but everyone took time to collect themselves over a two-week period. Some partied a bit too hard while others researched and studied. Sir Brightwood worked with Ogni to create a Soul Shard housing unit to prevent the crystal from embedding itself in a person. He called it a Trexium container. He also learned with Thaddeus a bit too much from their new foe, Paraphy, who seemed to know more about Brightwood than he intended. But as most adventurers live, there was another adventurer around the corner. Jakarta offered the group a job while he worked with Leofric that he needed passage to the Grastian Authority's next Artificer Conference being held in the city of Quargo. With ambition in their breath, our heroes set off to Quargo on a nine-day journey. Eventually, they rested and something went awry. In their sleep, Jakarta and Ogni found themselves paralyzed, watching down upon an ashen chamber. Sitting before them was a twenty-foot-tall devil by the name Israel the Dreamer. Israel sat with no mouth and green flames writhing from his back. The devil simply chuckled to himself as his rotted wood body groaned with every move. Upon noticing the dream-paralyzed pair, Israel took the opportunity and stole a soul shard that laid itself in Jakarta's hand and declared Agni to be a vessel. Everything was quiet. The morning arrived and the group was in shambles and astonished at what Israel had done. With no choice, they continued. Entering into the town of Warik, our heroes found it as a ghost town filled with dead bodies and werewolves. After disposing of the horrid beasts, it was noted that the amount of bodies did not add up with what the population of the town should have been. With a terrible feeling, our group once again continued, this time meeting a Goliath paladin on the side of the road by the name of Malgor. As Malgor joined the group and accompanied our heroes, they noticed something uneasy. A house stared down upon them and continued to reappear. Intrigued, the group heads up the hill and approaches the House of Nightmares. Upon entering, it was revealed to have been a trap set by Israel. Fighting and using wit to carve their way through Israel's games, our heroes prevailed and fled the gluttonous incarnate. Sir Brightwood took the gems that they collected within the house and drew a magic circle that dispelled the magic within. Hundreds of people appeared out of thin air with the destruction of the gems. These were the people of Warik. Sir Brightwood took charge and guided them back to the direction of their town. That night of rest from a draining day was interrupted by a pair of gloomstalkers. Malgor in the fight was slain, but the group continued their journey. The party met interesting faces, such as Frolf and his golden disc at Sion. This was where they learned of the prophecy where a group of individuals fought devils and a lich. Passing through Groxine, they met Sir Brightwood's cousin, Seston Brightwood, and learned that Lord Condris declared war on the Phaedron Union. Eventually making their way to Quargo, the group rested. Some tried to warn the leader of Quargo, Master Smith Torin, of a possible coming doom, but he ignored them in his arrogance. 
Others engaged in games in intrigue until Israel made his third appearance at the Artificer Conference. The world around them changed to resemble a hellscape of Israel's own design. This was a fight they weren't going to win. Through blood and close calls, our heroes fought valiantly, but weren't gaining any ground. There was a contingency plan to escape if needed, but with insult added to injury, three Israels fell from the sky and stood next to the Dreamer as they lurked over the party. Morality and hope vanished, and everyone started to accept their fate. But in a flash, Time stopped. White light blurred everyone's vision. Brightwood was awoken in a plain of cloud and still water. There, he was greeted by the visage of Lord Finian Condris, who revealed himself to be a long-forgotten god by the name of Kronos, the god of time. Kronos told Brightwood to flee and to focus on finding the soul shards as well as the god of the forge, Moradin. For Moradin could craft weapons of legend for the group to use against Israel and his doppelgangers. In one final snap, our heroes were teleported to the swamps of the Phaedron Union, which is where they met a curious lizard folk in a cave. In the next episode, we will join our characters in the beginning of Act 2. Thank you all for listening. We are Eldritch Origins. We release our episodes every other week, so mark your calendars for our first episode on April 3rd. We appreciate you tuning in and listening to the premise of our podcast and the adventure the players are going to get into. Right now we are trying to work on our audio, so bear with us, but we assure you that this will age like fine wine when we get into the groove of giving you guys all this amazing content. You can support us by following our social media at Eldritch Origins on Instagram and YouTube, but if apps aren't your thing, you can go check out our website at eldritchorigins.com, where we give a little bio about the players, the maps that our Dungeon Master creates, and a way for you to contact us. Thank you all again if you stayed this long, and we'll be seeing you soon. Just remember, Eldritch Origins is your fictional home away from home. Have a great day, everybody.